podcast brought to you by BingeJunkies.com. All right, welcome back, Binge Junkies. We are so excited. I am your host, Kelsey. And I'm Haley. And we are bringing to you sci-fi goddess Rena Owen, who is like been in everything Star Wars. She's been in the Orville. She's been in, well, two Star Wars and the video game. Let's be clear. You've been in <laughs> AI. You are an international, like, multi-award-winning actress. Rena, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, look, it's my pleasure. And I'm just so sorry on this introduction. Some very loud plane is going overhead. Oh, no. Did you, can you hear that? <laughs> no, we can't hear it. You're good. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. And it's good to be back. And, um, you know, one thing I'm going to add in the mix there of the sci-fi credits, because it was actually my first one when I came to Los Angeles, is I played a reoccurring role for the WB show, Angel. Angel, yes. Yes, <laughs> yes. And I, I was Dinza, the goddess of all lost creatures, and that involved seven hours of prosthetic from oh my head to, to fingers to toes, and I had wings. It was almost humans' most elaborate creation, and it was a phenomenal creation. But, yeah, walking around in that amount of prosthetics all day and taking seven hours to put on and two hours to take off, I wasn't disappointed when the show got cancelled. I did <laughs> like the show. And, and, and working with David, David Boreanaz, I mean, he's the consummate leading man. And we both, after that season of Angel, we both went on to do roles in Crow, Wicked Prayer, which was part of the Crow franchise. I really enjoyed that that part of the franchise i'll be honest sometimes it gets some criticism but i really enjoyed it yeah good on you good on you i know i know a lot it's kind of you know it's like a lot of franchises when you do one too many it's it's hard to recapture that original essence of what made the original one such big hits but i was happy to to work on that and work with uh, edward Furlong and uh see david on that on set and uh, that was fun but yeah you know it's it's kind of interesting and it, and, it, and it's even relevant today with the role I play on Siren Helen because back in those days when I first came to LA I didn't fit into any boxes and and casting was still very much boxed you were either black or you were Asian or you were Latina I mean mm -hmm. it was in in the time that I was here I saw the first Latina go into a studio movie which was J-Lo uh, Lucy Liu was the first Asian uh, American woman I saw in the studio movie in Charlie's Angels back in the day. So I always came into that that asked my agent, go, well, she's fantastic, but what is she? Right. And and so the place I, I found a niche in was sci-fi. And, uh, you know, George Lucas used five Polynesian uh, actors in Star Wars. Uh, of course, J um, Timur Morrison uh, plays the big role of Django Fett. And yeah. then you've got Jay yeah. Lagaya, yeah. who played uh, Captain Typho. And they were originally negotiating for me to play Captain Typho, who was uh, Padme's security uh, 
attachment who wore the eye patch and then George is like, no, all those scenes were too woman heavy and they needed to make him a man. And so I got to play Ton Wee. You also had uh, Daniel Logan, who's part Maori, uh, play uh, Boba Fett. And you had Bodie who played the clone. So Matrix did the same. They cast uh, Julian Arahanga, who played my son in Once Were Warriors, which launched me and Tamiera Mm -hmm. and Cliff Curtis. Uh, Matrix cast him because they too, like George, thought that we had faces of the future where we've got these kind of interesting faces and looks uh, and it plays into Helen because Helen's part mermaid. Right. You you know, and she's just playing a woman, a mature woman, a a mature human being who happens to have mermaid hair and look very, very unique. So it's actually served me. It's served me well to kind of be ethnically diverse and kind of come into that niche that you don't fit into any boxes because you end up getting these great characters that are unique and original, uh, a bit enigmatic and a bit eccentric. <laughs> yeah. I would say Helen definitely qualifies as eccentric. Um, and, yeah. and I was going to bring up though, you mentioned once were warriors. And so I will say I'm ashamed I had never uh, heard of it or, or watched it, but when I realized we were going to get to, I was going to get to interview you. I had to go find it and, and watch it, and wow, oh, that boy, is you're brave. devastatingly you're brave. powerful. But it is devastating, but powerful. It was phenomenal. But I mean, I was just sitting there like I don't know what I was expecting. I have some like, you know, like I can. I think my, being a big pop culture fan, my head immediately goes like Lord of the Rings, New Zealand. And then it's like, no, this is like the Maori people and, and the difficulties and the heartache. And the and I was like, God, I was not expecting this. But it's beautiful. I know. Listen, you, you're really, really brave. It's a tough in-your-face film. And I had Star Wars fans say to me and leave me messages going, oh, God, I wished I'd never watched it. I could never <laughs> look at Django Vett the same. Oh. Because oh, it no. was a very, very brutal film that dealt with a topic a topic way ahead of its time that nobody had really dealt with. And it was based on a best-selling novel. And I actually remember when I read that book, it was a tough read, but I thought, God, if this is ever made into a film, that would be a character to die for because it was such a great – you just didn't get dramatic, great leading roles for women back in – we made that film. We shot it in 1993. Yeah. And and I right before that, I'd done the Kevin Costner, Kevin Reynolds film, Rapa Nui, um, but, you know, Warriors was my first leading role and I came out of theatre and it really shook up everybody who watched it. And it's still to this date uh, New Zealand's most successful homegrown film. I mean, Lord of the Rings isn't considered homegrown because they were British books and it was internationally financed okay. in terms of independent New Zealand films. Um uh, and it was interesting because it was almost like everybody who watched it has never forgotten it. And I still get a lot of attention for that movie. Yeah. Um, and if you think, you know, especially to our listeners out there, what makes a good film? Just ask yourself, what are the films you remember? And they're usually films that shake you up or touch you deeply in your heart or your soul. 
uh, I'll touch you in your heart. You never forget those movies. Can I remember all the movies that got nominated for Oscars last year? No, let alone 10 years ago. But the movies I remember, the first one was uh, when I was a kid, our mother used to take us to uh, the Saturday matinees and was Born Free was the first film I remember on the big screen. And that was about the lion set in, in Africa. And it made me cry. And so I never forgot it. And of course, Flying Nun on TV and uh, later uh, in late teens it was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest mm. uh, with Jack Nicholson so the, the films that shake you up that really kind of get you on every every kind of element of our being are the films you tend to remember the most um, some movies I go oh I don't know if I've watched it then I'll see a little bit and I go oh yeah I, did. I have seen this film already um, so you know the thing I'm grateful for with Once We're Warriors is it, it opened the door internationally for me Timmy Morrison who of course has gone on to a lot of great projects the most recent one being Jason Momoa's father and Aquaman and uh, the other person who's had a huge career is Cliff Curtis. Yeah, I was going to say Cliff Curtis. Immediately mm-hmm. when he popped up on the screen, I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's where he started too. And he got his he got his break in Hollywood at a good time because he, he resembled Osama bin Laden. And if you look at his side profile, <laughs> he okay. could have been his brother. So that's how he got cast, though. He got cast in middle, middle, um, uh, he got cast in those kind of yeah, in, in, Middle Eastern in those roles. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, like Three Kings, because he had that look. And he was a really good actor. Like myself or Timura couldn't play those roles because we don't look middle, you know, we don't look, uh, right. we just don't look like that part of the world. We could play Polynesians like Hawaiians and um, and a lot of sci-fi stuff, but that's how he – and then, he, of course, he played a lot of Mexican roles uh, in Training Day and a TV series. Um, that probably wouldn't happen today now, though. Mexicans would be cast in Mexican roles. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But, of course, he, he had a leading role in the spin-off of The Walking Dead. And now he got killed off in that show, which meant he could do Avatar. Okay. Yes. And at, at yes. the time, at the time, I got asked about Avatar. But we had done the Siren pilot. Ah. And it was like, okay, if the pilot's not picked up, then I can do Avatar. But the pilot got picked up three seasons later. So Cliff ended up doing Avatar because he had been killed off his TV right. show, which meant he could do it. Our TV show was just coming to life, and I'm I'm pleased it has. It's It's been a wonderful journey, and um, it, it just has been wonderful. The, my only real complaint is when you shoot in Vancouver in winter, it's very cold. Yeah. It rains oh, yeah. a lot, and it's incredibly cold but we have a great cast we have a great crew vancouver is the perfect location visually for siren and you know we're a real family it'll be sad if we don't go to season four but you you kind of have to move on but we're hoping to find out real soon you know everyone every network starting to announce what they're counseling what they're renewing so hopefully we'll find out before the end of may you know if disney's going to renew the show so keep your fingers crossed fingers and toes definitely (laughs) so uh yeah so now i wasn't thinking about like disney now 
owns both that and the Orville. So I, I guess uh, maybe they can work around so we can get you back in the Orville for season three as well. Well, that's right. That's right. I mean, there is the possibility of that, except town got shut down here in L.A. But if if the gloaming, which is, is a... a an Australian miniseries, which I did in Tasmania between season two and season three, that's supposed to go to air on Hulu. So if it, if, and when it goes to on Hulu, I'll have three shows on Hulu. I'll have <laughs> Siren awesome. I'll have the <laughs> and I'll have the gloaming, which is pretty fantastic. And for Just, those out there that don't realize this Freeform was initially ABC family. So mm-hmm. ABC is owned by Disney and it was their family network and then they wanted to do different content, more diverse uh, content. And so they got re- it got rebranded to Freeform. But, yeah, we still basically we, we work we work for the mouse. We work for the mighty mouse who, who ate yeah. up the fox and yeah. now owns fox. <laughs> Yeah, I keep for, I, I don't know why. I'm sure everybody in Hollywood does not ever forget that they bought Fox and everything that's under that. But that's but that's interesting. Speaking of the Orville, I have to tell you. So we had Tom Constantino on uh, a few months ago to talk about the Orville, um, wow. and I told him then and and tell everyone that it, when you try the Orville, if you're not sure what you're, it's it's a very it's an interesting show. It walks that fine line between Family Guy and Star Trek in a really yeah. cool way. But but the the first episode, that's your season one episode for me, was where everything clicked. And I went, this is not just going to be fart jokes. They are going to delve into some really interesting, cool conflict in a very actually neat way that like was very respectful and and then you know with the fart joke thrown in um and i think uh what a cool thing to get to be a part of that oh my gosh absolutely and that's all really reflective of seth mcfarlane who is a genius he you know even family guy you know the the as you say there's always the entertainment there's a comedy factor but the underneath it all he he always he has a lot to say and he does it in such a, a clever way. And, you know, this is an important lesson for, for an actor out there. When I got the call from my agent saying there's a pilot, read it and let us know if you want to go in for it. And I read the, the pilot for the Orville. And I kind of said to my agent, I, I'm not really right for the role. It was for the role of the doctor. Mm-hmm. And and they said, yeah, but, you know, they want to see you. These great casting directors, they want to see you. They cast a lot of good stuff. So I put the work in to the audition and I went in and I did a really good audition, but I was right. My instinct was right. I wasn't right for the role of the doctor. And they cast the most perfect actress for the doctor. Mm-hmm. But episode mm-hmm. three came up. And they thought straight away then for Havina, they thought, oh, my God, we've got the perfect actress for Havina, Rena Owen. So let's bring her in, have her read the, have her read the monologue for Seth. And so I went in and Seth wasn't in the room. It was casting again. And I did the monologue. And obviously you do your homework, you learn your lines, you prepare the character, you you understand your speech. And, um, and I got 
cast in the role. And it was literally that big scene in the courtroom and that one little scene where he finds her in the cave. And I had such a great time and I loved working with Seth because he stood behind me the whole time we were in the courtroom. So we had this real synchronicity going on. And, and when you're working well in creativity, just spontaneity happens. I remember after I'd been on camera for like eight hours because you have to do these things over and over again for different angles with the camera, for different reactions with different characters. And after about eight hours, I started to get a bit tired and I kind of was halfway through the speech and I blanked and I was looking in my mind for that one word. And he said it behind me and I said, thank you. That's what I'm looking for. And I was able to just carry on. And it was just like, it's like riding waves. It's just a, it's a wonderful experience when you have it. And he, he so loved what I did with the role and working with me that he wrote me a, a, a an episode for season two which was a fantastic episode where he comes and he finds me and he has to take me to the, you know, the big nations yeah. and the Disney Hall. Yeah. And, and it was wonderful. And that perhaps, perhaps he's written me more episodes for season three. We so. shall find out. It's a great character. And that whole storyline, like you say, is very relevant to the world in which we now live in where, uh, and it's actually also been recently, explored in Siren in last week's episode where we find a tribe that are all born female and they have to go into a certain water to be able to transition to become male to procreate right and and as Ben's character says um you know there's a lot of underwater species that do do that uh, that change genders in, in order to procreate. So our writers are very similar to what, what Seth does with Orville, is they're often very ahead of their time in, in terms of the stories they're coming up with. I mean, the whole kind of environmental issue, the whole thing with the oil rig, the whole thing where I think they've been incredibly real trailblazers is when it came to casting, if you look at all the Mer people, there's, there's no reference made to to whether they're, they're black or Asian or, yeah. or, or yeah. Caucasian. It's just they're a race. Yeah. And and that's and that's how our creators wanted it to be. They didn't want this to be like, oh, we're having these boxes and the, these people are all this right. No, these are just a species. Mm-hmm. You know, these are a species and the two sisters, one sister's white and the other sister's black. And I think it's incredibly bold and brave. And 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 I think, you know, shows we fall in love with or films we fall in love with is they dared, they've dared to come up with something different and unique. Yeah. You know, Matrix did that. Star Wars does that. The Orville does that. Siren's done that. I mean, it's the other area our show is really unique is our mermaids are not like the mermaids we grew up on. Right. You know, our, our mermaids are top-level predators and they will bite the head off a shark. And that's probably how, if mermaids really exist, how they would have to be to survive under the water. That's probably always been my favorite part of the series. <laughs> I love that vision of the mermaids being the primal creatures Absolutely. and the alpha it's, it's, predators. 
Yeah, it's made it dynamic, and it's all. It also too, especially in season one, there was all, always an element of danger. Yeah, and as Helen mm-hmm. said to to Ben and Maddie, you don't know what you're dealing with, um, and that's given it the show its edge. And um, you know, there's been a whole lot of different things happening this season, and you know, the next three episodes are just all basically building to the season finale. And once again, it's going to people, especially the fans. They're going to be shook by the season finale. <laughs> They're just going to be shook up in, in all different ways. Some will be okay with it. Some will, like, hate it. Some will just go, no, you can't do that. But they're literally all going to do, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? And that's every good season finale on every good show. I recently binge-watched The Ozarks. Um, oh, I love that show. Well, that that season finale, that last setup, that last scene where they go by, uh, you know, <laughs> by plane to see the mob boss. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just like. I just thought. Oh my god. What a I definitely of- gasped. <laughs> yeah, same. So did I. And I went, what an exceptional season finale. It was just exceptional. And, and, and that's what makes me want to go back and watch season four. So, Absolutely. So speaking about further seasons, uh, The Mandalorian has been doing really well. Are you hoping you get a call to possibly maybe be in an episode or two of that? That would be yeah. That would be fantastic. That that would be fantastic to be able to to return to visit my old stomping ground of Tonwe. Um, anything could happen, you know. I I would personally love because you know we've all read Taika Waititi. Of course, mm-hmm. my fellow uh, Maori mm-hmm. from New Zealand has been uh, contracted to write, co-write, and direct a new Star Wars movie. Yeah. So yes. you know. I would love the opportunity to be able to come back into that franchise as a totally different character. Well, um, I personally would love it if you did. <laughs> oh, me too. I, I really would. You know, it's kind of what I'd love to do next is I'd love to do a big franchise movie again, like Star Wars or, or Marvel Comics or, uh, you know, a character like Lady M and Bond. They're, they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're good characters and, I, and I'm really pleased for my mother who really encouraged me um, and I've said this a few times that you know in your 40s as a female as an actress it's a lean it's a lean season well it was for me and I think for a lot of women 40s are when you're too old to be the young kind of you know hot babe on the block so to speak but you're still a little young to be the wise old sage and my but you're now the seasoned badass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But my mum said, she said, just remember, girl, she said, just remember Helen Mirren and Judy Dench did not get their Hollywood breaks until they were in their 50s. And it's it's become true for me. You know, if you hang in there and you persevere and you don't give up, and as long as you don't disfigure yourself and you still look like you, there's really great work. And we're seeing a lot more of that in TV shows and films with these mature actresses who are yeah. helming shows and carrying shows. And, um, you know, I'm certainly getting more work now than I did in my 40s. And and it's, it's a personal journey as well because you, you just get to – once you cross 50 – 
you suddenly go, oh, my God, I've lived the bulk of my life. And life looks really short once you cross 50. I mean, hey, if I, I get to live to 100, I'm going to be blessed. But <laughs> let's just say we only get another 20, another 30, 40 years. You've lived mm-hmm. the bulk of your life. And so you're really like, okay, this is it. This is your life. What are you going to do with it? And and it becomes that more important that you do what you really want to do and you relish your time and you you spend every moment wisely because it's the greatest commodity any of us ever have is time and once spent we can never get it back yeah so spend your time wisely ladies and do what you love to do and do what you know you've been put on this planet to do and do it to the best of your ability um so i'm ready now and and that's the other thing that happens You, you just get more comfortable in your own skin and as an actor, you relax more because you've come to learn and realize that it's just about being you and showing up and being there and being you in these imaginary situations. So uh, I'm ready to do a Lady M, you know, and I thought Judy Dench was just wonderful in that role, the James Bond yeah. franchise, but I'm ready for that kind of role, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it would be great. So I'm with you, ladies. I hope that I get a, another shot at another franchise, Star Wars, Marvel Comics, Bond, whatever it may be, it would be um, that is, is on my dream list. Uh, who would you want to play if you got into Marvel, let's say, or even I DC? I don't know. I don't know if um, if there's any characters from – it may have to be a totally new character. I'd I be totally okay with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to – you know, you, you've actually raised something, though. This means I'm going to have to do a little bit of research and get really specific. Yeah. Because I find when you're specific – about what you want, the more specific you are, um, the the more chances you have of attracting that because you've been specific. So that's great homework for me. Once Siren is over, that will be my homework to go, okay, let's go into the the world of franchises and see what kind of characters out there that I could play. I could definitely see you as some kind of immortal or goddess type goddess warrior. Yep. Absolutely, and and I can also play baddies. You know, I don't always have to be the good guy. Yeah. A villain would be very cool. We're very cool. we're gonna tell all of our like listeners to start tagging you on Twitter with all their like ideas for who you'd be oh. perfect as in Marvel. <laughs> oh, please do, please do. I mean, I only need to be. I don't get to Twitter often. I I get get there on a Wednesday and a Thursday to live tweet with the show. Uh, but my main platform has been Instagram because okay. you can you can well you can post on. Instagram and send it to send it to three platforms, so it goes to Facebook and right. Twitter. Yeah, and I just found that to be more efficient than trying to get across all three platforms. Um, so I am on a daily basis on Instagram and uh, not as often on Twitter, but I do go to Twitter. But yeah, t- please fans, come up with roles roles for me. We've got to start generating some kind of campaign to get myself back into a, into a film franchise. Yeah, well, I would love to see some more Tonway in, in Mandalorian. Like, just the, the neck and the elegance and the, oh, that just would be, you know, that would be really fun. And it's the right time period, I think, so. It, it is. And she, yeah. you know, she, a lot of people think of the role as a voiceover character. And I go, no, it wasn't a voiceover job. Um, 
you know, I had to be there physically. I was on set and I had to walk and talk and and act out all the scenes. And George was very clear with his direction because the one thing a computer cannot do is it cannot yet, it cannot create the spirit or the energy of a human being. Agreed. So all of those characters in Star Wars, they've all, they're all actors underneath. And then they do an extreme makeover job on us on the computer and totally change what we look like. But our energy, I mean, I was actually quite surprised when I first saw it, how much of myself I could still see in the, in the role. And my family laughed as well because the Owen family, our sisters, you know, we've got quite a distinctive walk. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, there's the Owen walk um, yeah yeah I you know maybe Tom we could come back into that realm but uh, there's certainly nothing stopping because I wasn't seen completely uh, well I wasn't seen at all uh, in uh, episode two there's only a moment in episode three because all of our scenes for episode three the new senators were were cut out and and I actually kind of knew they would be cut out because they weren't intrinsic to the main storyline which was the plot of Anakin going to the dark side gotcha okay this podcast is brought to you by bingejunkies.com we've got what you crave that's interesting well I love it and so I have to ask because for me science fiction and fantasy has always been I've loved it growing up and and partly because it was a way to escape but also because you could look at issues kind of what we were talking about with Siren and and the Orville addressing issues like gender and race and you know uh comparing cultures and and how how do you do that respectfully and all these different things that like that we don't always do very well in a regular like non-sci-fi or fantasy way often shows that try to do that or books that try to do that it looks like they're ticking boxes or something like that you need that sort of like mystical edge to i don't know to to, to do it in a way that many people find palatable which is not always yes. how those things should be addressed i'm not to say that you know no, we need but, to cater, but, but it, it gets through I so agree. i'm just wondering if that did you grow up loving sci-fi or is that something that sort of evolved for you or is that more just because that's been where your career has gone yeah it's 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 a combination of both and and i agree and i, I kind of learned that as a young actor working in theater uh, as an actor, but also being an audience member is when somebody's on a soapbox, you turn off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When they when they feel that they've been hit over the head, they, they turn off. When they feel threatened, when they feel judged, they turn off. Absolutely. They stop watching and they stop listening. So when you can say the same thing through a really creative, inventive, imaginary world, it sucks people in. And if you look at Star Wars, right back to the original Star Wars, it's as good as an old-fashioned story as the Bible, good versus evil. 
and and um, you know, kind of in really simplistic terms. And we all root for the good guys, but then there are some who are going to root for the dark side. So it's it taps into humanity, and when you can get something that taps into humanity, you will appeal to a much wider range of of, of audience members because you're you, you're touching. My mentor said this to me once. She said, "In order to be universal, you have to be specific." So if you're specific about your human condition, then chances are people will identify with that and relate to that. So I was always very, since day one, since I was born, I always had this great uh, fascination with the human condition. And I had this vivid imagination uh, growing up and there wasn't too much sci-fi, really, because, I mean, Star Wars didn't come out till, God, what year did Star Wars come out? The end of 70s or yeah, something? 70. Yeah, it was right at the end of the 70s. Yeah, the biggest, the biggest kind of sci-fi thing in my, my young years was the flying nun, a nun that could fly. Yeah, and, and I remember because we were ra- we were raised we were raised Catholic, and and I really wanted to be a nun at one point. This is before I became a teenager. I really wanted to be, be be a nun, but I also wanted to be a teacher. And so I had a real dilemma, and I said to my mother, I said, well, how can I be a a nun if I also want to be a teacher? And she said, well, you can be like the flying nun. You can be a a teaching nun. And I thought, wow. So in my mind, you, you know, yeah. Absolutely futuristic stuff had a place in my world growing up because I'm just that kind of person and that had that kind of imagination. But I also always always had a heart for humanity. Mm. And and you know, I couldn't become an actor or writer at the end of the 70s because it just wasn't considered a job. It wasn't considered a real job. Um, and also as a woman at the end of the 70s, I could be a teacher, a secretary, or a nurse. So I went and I trained as a nurse, which was a great foundation for the arts because nursing is all about the human condition, mm-hmm. what makes us tick as a species. Um, so, yeah, it's always just been part of who I am. I'm always uh, kind of um, interested in pioneering stuff, and I always have been. And um, I'm really always very interested and drawn to things that help us to be a better species, um, you know, that help us to, to get on better and, and to live in this world in, in a bit more harmony, so to speak. Uh, I know that sounds hippie-ish, but I see it happening in lockdown, you know, when I do go out and I put on my mask and I put on my gloves because I don't want to get sick. And so I'm just really respectful of the guidelines. But I can just see it in people. We all kind of just look and there's a softness of about people, you, you know, they, they're kind of looking and saying hi to each other because we realize that we're all in this together and yeah. that we are literally, we're all one species and regardless of, of gender or race or creed, cultural creed, basically, you know, all our blood runs red and, mm-hmm. and we are all in this together and any one of us could get this coronavirus and people have lost lost people to to this horrible virus and um so it is kind of it's also led us to what also happens in these seasons more innovation 
I mean, life's never going to be what it was before lockdown. Things have changed and things. some things are going to change for good. I mean, there's certain companies now saying, hey, set up office at home because you no longer need to come to the office. Everyone's going to be working from home from now onwards. Um so a lot of things are going to be changed for better or for worse. But um, there's a lot of uh, – I'm curious to see what comes – what is birthed out of this season of people being locked up. And, you know, I, I think I mentioned it to you earlier. The greatest thing, reinforcer of this lockdown quarantine season, is everybody turned to the arts. Yeah. Everybody turned on their televisions. Everybody picked up books. Everyone turned on their musics. I mean, imagine what our world would be like and what it would have been like if we did not have the arts while we were on lockdown. Yeah. Uh, I I, I hate to even think about it. And so the arts are an incredibly important part of our our societies. And, um, you know, as I said to somebody, really, I'm able to do what I've always done on lockdown because I literally work from home when I'm not on a set. I'm reading scripts, I'm learning lines, I'm working on accents. Um, I can watch any a ton of movies. I have Netflix, I have Disney Plus, I have Hulu. You know, it's spoiled for content in terms of television and films that I can watch. Um you know, and I can do those tedious things that we all have to do when we're self-employed, like paperwork and taxes. But I've also been able to, which I wouldn't have been able to do if we hadn't gone in a shutdown, I've been able to follow Siren and create a lot of content for social media because I've had the luxury of time yeah. to do that. And, you know, I had come back into LA for, for work. And all I can say on that topic is it was non-disclosure stuff. So I can't tell you what work it was. Um, but NDAs are always exciting, non-disclosure agreements. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, my lips are sealed. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think, to me, I look around and go, it's an act of compassion, a community of compassion, you know, that when you see people protesting and stuff, it's obviously not. But, like, for, for the majority of people right now it, are practicing compassion and trying to keep each other, you know, safe and healthy. And I think that that is one thing, you know, turning to the arts that we learn from that, too. That, like, there's just... It's what makes life life and not just... Yeah. It costs the nothing to and, be nice and care for others. Well, well, that's right, and and I mean, you know, every everyone has a right to their opinion, um, but I do think, you know, people who have lost family members and loved ones to coronavirus, I tend to side with them when they say, you know, just look at this. Who will say, you know, to a protester, they need to look at the bodies in hospital. They need to look at all the bodies that have died of people. That this yeah. thing is real, and none of it's a, you know, it comes with a certain boldness to think that you're untouchable none of us are untouchable any of us can get this virus if we're not careful and so uh, I had at one point our governor Newsom you know he put a call out there and so did our mayor and said look we need medical personnel on the front lines people have got you know if you're retired you've got medical experience we need help and I really thought god I'd love to go out and get on the front line and help you know, and just be of service. But I thought, God, you know, I've got work booked. 
I, I just I can't afford to put myself at risk. I can't afford to get sick. I'm also, oh, God, I hate to say this, but I'm past 50. (coughs) So, you know, I come into one of those. (laughs) I'm not past past 60. But, you know, once past 50, you're considered to be one of the vulnerable groups. (laughs) So I thought, yeah, no, you can't. You can't go out there as much as I wanted to be of service and help people. Because that's just the way I made. And I just thought, you know, I can't afford to get sick. And um, and so I'm just doing my best not to expose myself to it. But I, I do go out for, I have to get walks. Because really the things I am missing is being able to go to my yoga classes. And, and I know people say you can do it online. But it's just not the same as that community of going to your yoga studio or going on a good long hike. But, you know, our beaches are getting opened up and trails are getting opened up so I can be, do a bit of that. And, yeah, I miss hanging out at, at a cafe with friends and catching up. And I miss going to a big, you know, picture house to see a movie and going to, to industry events. But they're all things I can live without. You know, I, I have the basics, and that's what you count really in times like this is you count your blessings. Yeah. You don't look at the, the, the your, your, your glass that's half empty. You look at the half of your glass that's full. And, you know, I have a roof over my head and I have fruit in my fridge and I'm thus far healthy and I can walk and I can talk. And so, you know, as long as we can do these things, then we can still continue to do whatever we can do or want to do on our computers. I mean, imagine if we did not have the internet, what this lockdown season would have looked like. (laughs) And internet came out of creative genius. Yeah. You know, all creations came out of a creative space. Einstein, when he created the light bulb, I mean, he had thousands and thousands of failures before he ever had a success. And going back to acting, that's been the key to it. Is perseverance. If you hang in here long enough, and you you you, you keep working on your craft, and um, you know, and I'm glad that I had the courage to hold on to the ability to have a face that can still move because it's paid off. And and I was faced with that dilemma, and and when I first came to LA, um, because you know it was very obvious people who've done work and that's that's their choice and I don't judge it but I remember sitting in an audition room you know looking at these perfect beautiful flawless creatures and thinking is this what I need to do to work in Hollywood do I need to make my boobs bigger do I need yeah yeah and then I thought hang on how you'll never be able to go back to New Zealand, playing New Zealand <laughs> looking like Joan Rivers who I love by the way Joan Rivers was a fantastic comedian but it's just, it didn't fit in with the kind of characters I play. Right. So we look at people like Francis McDormand. We look at those people, you know, I mean, they're kind of mix of genre actors, character actors. You've got to have character, whether it's inside or outside. You've got to have that character in order to play character character roles. So um, I'm glad. I'm glad I'm still in the game. And I feel incredibly blessed because there's always 97% of our acting population who are not in work. So I'm blessed to be a working actor. So hang in there, peeps. Whatever you're doing, 
whatever your dream is, just don't ever give up. That's just keep doing it and just persevere and be tenacious and just hang in there and and just you know as old Yoda says I love to quote Yoda in this time he's, he really is my favorite and I did a shout out for the 50 501st uh, legion for uh, May 4th and I said you know I know it's a really scary time for a lot of people but as Yoda said fear fear is the path to the dark side so so just don't be afraid keep the faith keep positive and just you know reach out reach out if you, you you're down and if, you, if you're not feeling good just pick up the phone or you know get on the internet but just don't don't um just just come through this we'll all come through this this too shall pass and we will be let out of house yeah um, <laughs> In the meantime, keep watching Siren. <laughs> yeah. Three really, really exciting episodes, episode eight, nine, and then our season finale, ten. And, oh, it's really quite exciting. You know, I before I, I go on a Twitter, I relook at the script, you know, for that episode just to remind me of the things that happened in that episode because, you know, it was last year that we shot the season. So I just do a refresher. I look at the script and go, oh, yeah, yeah, that moment's going to happen. And that moment's going to happen just to get, you know, know what I'm in store for. But you, you don't really can't pre-plan Twitters because you don't know how the show's been edited and right. scenes have been taken out or lines have been taken out. But you just, I just give myself a good idea of this is what's going to go down tonight in, in episode eight but it's a it's a really cool episode tonight and uh, a, a wedding and a war is what I call it and for those who have never watched the show you know give it a give it a chance take a look at it uh, a lot of people are, are newly discovering the show and you know are now hooked and, and we've had people fans kind of leave notes saying they just found the show while they were in lockdown and they're now caught up because they got into it uh, watch highly recommend watching the Orville and the gloaming when it comes on to Hulu but that's right. a whole I can't wait for that yeah, that's kind of dark. That's a that's a kind of like a, a why done it detective kind of. It's a Tasmanian noir, and I, I I do not play a lovable character. I'm glad Helen is lovable. Grace in the gloaming is not. She's not a lovable character. <laughs> okay, <laughs> warning, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so as one kind of. Final question. Has there been a fan interaction so far that has really stood out to you that you've particularly enjoyed? Yeah, you know, the one I've never forgotten, and this is going way back, and this is Ton Wee, and it's still the, up there with the top, top uh, fan uh, interactions. I was at a, a, a sci fi comic book convention in New York. It was the New York one. So this is quite a few years ago, 2005 or something like that, 2006. And, you know, and I was sitting there and I was signing Ton Wee stuff for fans, photos and action figures and their posters. And this one fan came up to me and he was just, he was all gooey. And, <laughs> you know, I could just tell the way he was looking at me. And he said, he said, I, I hope you don't think I'm weird or anything, but I have to tell you, Ton Wee is the first time I've ever wanted to have sex with a woman. <laughs> and I said, I take that as a total compliment. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's, it, that that's still the top. 
That's yeah. still, it's, it was the first time Amazing. he'd ever wanted to have sex with a man. So <laughs> I, 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 I haven't got another one to top that yet. No, I think that would be very hard to top. That's wonderful. Well, thank you yeah. so much for sharing that with us. And thank, thank you for taking so much time with us. We really appreciate oh, it. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Big, big, big pleasure. And hopefully we'll get to do it again and again and again with either a Siren Season 4 or possibly more Orval or possibly more Star Wars or yes. a new movie franchise. Yes, to all of that. Um, Always, always happy to talk with you guys. Thank you for listening to another Binge Junkies podcast. And please join us again next time.